Good morning. Happy Veterans Day, Four Oaks. It is Thursday, November 11th, and so glad that you have joined us. If you just stumbled onto this time, we call this Romans Rewind, where we take portions of the book of Romans that we've been preaching through on Sunday mornings and unpacking them in a little more detail, or maybe honing in on verses or ideas or theological concepts that we didn't have time to get into um, that previous Sunday. And we, of course, are taking questions, any questions you have about Romans as we're walking through this great book, paul.gilbert at fouroakschurch.com. Well, Romans 4 is an interesting passage. Interesting meaning there is a, there's a lot here to, to unpack. And as we continue to read through this section that, that we were in Sunday at Four Oaks, there's just all sorts of of themes here. And so let me, let me go back and again, read the, read the, um, the passage in question. We're looking at Romans chapter four, beginning at verse 13, reading through 25. For the promise to Abraham and his offsprings that he would be heir of the world did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For if it is the adherents of the law who are to be the heirs, faith is null and the promise is void. For the law brings wrath, but where there is no law, there is no transgression. That is why it depends on faith, in order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring, not only to the adherent of the law, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you the father of many nations, in the presence of the God in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. In hope he believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations, that he has been told, so shall your offspring be. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead, since he was about a hundred years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. That is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. But the words, it was counted to him, were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him, who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. Now, as Christians, we rightly emphasize the centrality of the cross as it relates to justification, right? This idea that we are declared righteous by God through faith, based upon the death of Jesus Christ on our behalf, um, the heart of justification is, of course, the cross. But what's interesting in this passage is that Paul, what Paul tells us about justification and the resurrection in verse 25, look back there, it says, Jesus, our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. Now, one of the things that's striking about this, or should be striking to us, is just how much the early church, the apostles, Paul, latched onto this idea of the resurrection, and not just latched onto it as an idea, but latched onto it, in fact, because it was central to the Christian message, all right? Let's, let's talk about that for a minute. You see, if there was no resurrection, then the apostles could claim anything about the death of Jesus, but how would that be verified? Um, how, how, why could they be trusted, or why would they say that the death of Jesus was more valuable than, say, the death of Muhammad, or the death of Buddha, or 
the death of any other religious figure, right? Well, obviously, the resurrection is central because of what Jesus claimed. Jesus claimed that he was the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus claimed that he was on a mission to seek and save that which was lost. Jesus claimed to be God. Jesus claimed to be the great I am. And if Jesus were to utter all of those things and he were to remain in the tomb, obviously, he's just simply another man. Um, obviously, he is not the son of God. He is not divine. But if he is raised from the dead, then this would attest to the facts and the claims that Jesus made about who he was. And so this is why we see in the early church, um, it wasn't just the cross of Christ that, that was center stage in evangelism and gospel presentation, although it was central, but, but equally representative was this idea of the resurrection, that, that what they were saying is true based upon their belief that Jesus had conquered sin and death in his own body. So when it comes to a passage like this, where Paul says Jesus was raised for our justification, what he's pointing to is that when Jesus died on the cross, that very much was a historical event. When he was raised from the dead, it was very much an historical event, but there was also something deeply theological about it. And what was deeply theological about it was that Christians or all those who belong to Christ were united with him in his death, were united with him in his resurrection. So in other words, Jesus did not come merely to make salvation possible. Jesus came to seek and save that which was lost. Jesus came to save those who belong to him, those who were his sheep, those were those who were his people. And our salvation was secured by the fact that our souls, mystically, mysteriously, spiritually, were united with Christ on the cross, so that when, that when he died, we died, and our sins with it. But that when he was raised, we were also raised um, to newness of life. And that the way this is applied to us, or actualized for us, of course, is through faith. And it is because of faith that we um, experience the benefits or the effects of salvation. But again, all of this hinges on this idea that, in fact, Jesus really was raised from the dead. And look at what a, what a motif or theme it is through this passage we just read. Think about all the times it talks about Abraham, all the times it talks about Sarah, um, the fact that they could not bear life, but it was God who gave life to Sarah's womb, Okay, so that she could have a child. But without the resurrection, right, none of this would have been valid. None of it would have had any particular meaning. Um, it was only by the resurrection of the dead that now the apostles could say that God was the father, God was the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Remember in Jesus's, um, one of his arguments with the, the Pharisee or the Sadducees, they said, you know, they, they believed that no one could be raised from the dead or that there was no afterlife. And Jesus silenced them by saying, don't you know that God is, is the God presently of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? He is a living God. And for folks, this is a great reminder for us that even as we ought to very much so be meditating on the cross, 
and what the death of Jesus has done for us in terms of um, paying for our sins and being secured for our for us for our for our salvation. We also want to give um, plenty of attention to the resurrection because it was through the resurrection, right, that that we could even say that God is the is the is the God of the living, not just of the dead, right? That that God is that God is Lord over all, and that He is going to raise everyone who knows Him, belongs to Him, to newness of life. And this is why Paul can say He was raised for our justification. In other words, He was raised in view of the idea that one day we would be justified by Him through faith. And when we think about that, when we think about the marvelous intricacies of God's plan, um, when we think of the marvelous intricacies of, of the plan of salvation and of the gospel, and that every step of it was ordered out perfectly, that we are here today, 2,000 years later, after the, the death of Christ, because he was raised on our behalf. And folks, just as a reminder, we worship a living God. We worship a resurrecting God. And we constantly want to be coming to him and asking him, God, would you give life? Would you give life to my soul? Would you give life to my marriage? Would you give life to my relationships with my children? Will you give me life to my, with my coworkers, my neighbors? Lord, would you, um, would you infuse everything I do with your resurrecting power? And this was, resurrection was central, central to the proclamation and living out of faith in the early church, and may it be for us as well. All right, that's going to do it for today. Um, we'll be back tomorrow, Friday, for our last installment of the week. Um, in the meantime, let me pray for us. Lord, would you now give us a fresh vision of your resurrection power, of who you are, that you died for our sins, but you were raised to life so that we might have life as well. And because of that, Lord, we know that you are not just the God of the dead. You are the God of the living. You are, you, when we die, we still have life because you are the resurrection and the life. And so, Lord, um, just imprint that upon our hearts and minds today and let it be our basis of hope for you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, everybody, see you later.